Good morning, Crossing Church. My name is BJ Meadows. I'm one of the elder pastors here, and I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited what God has for us today. And I'm stuck wearing a Jalen Ramsey jersey, if you haven't noticed. He left like a jerk, but <laughs> alas, we have Trevor Lawrence, but I'm not ready to jump on that train yet because I jumped on Jalen Ramsey too early too. So uh, we're starting a new sermon series. I'm pretty excited about it. And the one we just finished was all about freedom. We studied Galatians, and it was all about freedom and grace and how we were set free from the burden of the law so that we could follow Jesus. It wasn't about our own effort and something that we had to do to muster so that we could follow Jesus. It was about what Jesus did for us and paved that way for us. So it makes sense after talking about freedom and grace to then talk about being disciplined. But as we jump into this series, if you're like me, you've always thought of these as checks in the box, things that you have to do in order to be a good Christian, and if you're not, you're being a bad Christian. Um, but our goal with this series is to help reframe those um, so that we understand them correctly, so that we know what their purpose is, and um, so that we can really get closer to Jesus, because that's their goal. So before I jump in anymore, and uh, we'll get rocking and rolling. God, we're here today because we want to hear from you. Uh, we're going to talk about your word and the great uh, things that you've provided through it, and I just pray that you would use it to pierce our heart, that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would draw us closer to you, that we would become more captivated and in love and enthralled by your grace, and um, that we would leave change, that we would be um, in love with your word. Um, so be with us today as we kick this series off, as we um, seek you today, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, Amen. So, I have two dogs, one cat, and four kids. And of all of them, I enjoy training my dogs the most. My dogs don't complain. Uh, they're obsessed with everything that I do. They love food, so anything that I give them is gold. They don't talk back to me. They don't argue with me. They just love being in my presence. They are glorious. My cats are the opposite. I've had three cats. None of them like to be trained. My first cat was, is called Thumper, and I tried to put him on a leash once. I thought it was hilarious. I was going to have a cat. I was going to walk him down the road. It was going to be amazing. So I put the collar on my cat, and he just lost it. He rolled around like, like a demon possessed him, just writhing on the floor. And after about 10 minutes of losing his mind, he stood up and walked like he had a ball between his back legs just waddling around like he was going to fall over the second that he lost his balance or whatever. And when I tried to do anything like with training him, he would just look at me like I was an idiot. Like if you have a cat, you know what I'm talking about. They just look at you like you're the biggest moron on the face of the planet. And then after about five minutes of like sit and he just stared at me, he'd go over and pee on something because that's just a cat. They're, they're half evil, I think. Every cat's done that to me too. But Thumper was special. And I don't know how I did this or what happened with Kelly and I that made this dynamic happen, so I can't share with you my secret. But he was my cat, and I loved him, and he did not like Kelly. And it was awesome, because anytime Kelly and I would fight, he would stalk her, hide behind a corner, and then jump on her. It was awesome. So anytime we got in a fight, I knew Thumper's coming for you. And then he would just go pee on her stuff, because, you know, he's a cat. That's what cats do. Um, we're talking about spiritual disciplines today, about 
being disciplined? What does it mean? Because for me, it's always meant, it's something that I have to do. Like, I think of um, being a musician. When I was in band in high school, like, you had to practice. You had to work really hard to achieve anything. It didn't just happen. And I think that's a better analogy than it's just something that you have to do in order to check the box or to be good. It's, it's this idea of training versus something you just try to do. And if we think about it as training, I think that helps a little bit because we're training in godliness. We're training how to grow closer to Jesus. We're training with him. But I think even if we push that analogy, it fails too because it presumes that if we train hard enough, we can become good enough, that we can fix ourselves on our own. And the Bible is very clear You can't fix yourself. It's completely 100% up to Jesus. So we can't train hard enough to fix ourselves. There are actions that we take, these spiritual disciplines we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks. There are actions we take, but they're a means to an end. They're not an end in and of themselves. Um, A really good book, I read it when I was in seminary. It's by John Ortberg. It's called No Ordinary Life. He said, following Jesus simply means learning from him how to arrange my life around activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. And that's, that's the goal of all of these, is it's not activities that bring us salvation. They don't make us more in favor of Jesus or more in less favor if we don't do them. It's opening ourselves up to the Spirit's leadership, his direction and guidance in our lives. Um, they're not New Year's resolutions that we can use to measure our own success, to say, ha I did it every day then I'm suddenly awesome. It's like raising our sails on a ship. And we just open the sails by doing them, and Jesus leads us. He pushes us and guides us where he wants to go. We're being open to him. So that's what we're really talking about, is how can we be open to the Spirit's leadership in our life? How can we hear that still, small voice that Elijah heard? And then we just wait. That's probably the hard part, the one that frustrates all of us, myself included, is we just wait for him to move. And we don't know where. Um, They're not tasks. They're an opportunity. They're an opportunity to seek Jesus. Um, So that's what we're talking about. And um, one of my friends, some of you know him, Joey, he posted this quote online that I wanted to share with you. It's um, by the Valley of Vision. And it says, Fill the garden of my soul with the wind of love, that the sense of the Christian life may be wafted to others. Then come and gather the fruits to thy glory. And we talked about, in the last couple uh, chapters in Galatians, about the fruits of the Spirit. And that's what this is all about, is how do we bear fruit? We get closer to Jesus. How do we get closer to Jesus? The spiritual disciplines. They're not things that we do as an end of themselves, but they draw us closer to Jesus by being with him. They happen organically. We don't force love out of our lives. We bring Jesus into our life, and he brings love out of us. Um, So that's what we're talking about, and we're going to go through Scripture today, prayer, fasting, worship, gathering, giving, and serving. So they're not a check in the box. That's that's what I hear, and what what I've heard every single time up until I read this book, is it's just something that I have to do. And if you're like me, when I have to do something, I immediately don't want to do it, because I'm rebellious. Um, But I would encourage you today, along with myself, to stop and stop checking off lists. Um, It's not going to help. Um, so as I was thinking about this and thinking about different thought patterns in my own life that have gotten in the way that have caused a stumbling block for me um, from reading my Bible, from praying, uh, I thought of kind of two big ones. And um, one of them is multiplicity. And it's this thought pattern that um, 
you desire something, but at the same time, you want something else. So they're sitting there, and they're competing each other, and you, you want to follow Jesus, but you want to do this too, and they're at odds together. St. Augustine said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. And that, that's, that's what it is. It's like, I want you, Jesus. I know it. You're the best thing in the world, but I want to do this too. So I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to come back, and it's just this constant battle. So we have multiple warring ideologies in our brain. Maybe you find it relieving. I know there's some sins that I've done that I do, and I'm like, man, that felt really good in the moment. But then you feel like an idiot afterwards. But it felt good, so you just it, it keeps this battle going. Another one is duplicity, where we maybe we're not really connected with why we're not doing something. Uh, it comes up most like when I've asked myself and people have asked me and I've asked others, like, why don't you read your Bible? Well, I'm really busy, and then you just list off the million different things you have to do. But we don't really want to admit the real reason. We're duplicitous. The real reason is we don't want to. Because if we wanted to, we'd make time for it. I know how to make time for Netflix. I really do. Um, I can make time for anything that I want to. But the real problem is we don't want to. And maybe that's not your problem. That's just me. But there's something that we're not getting to the heart of the issue in our own lives, where we're hiding behind a veil, and we're not getting to the heart of the issue, which is a lack of desire. James, in uh, James 1, 6, 8, talked about a double-minded man. The verses are going to be on the board. I'm reading out of the ESV. James 1, 6, 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. I think that... The answer to this double-minded man is the spiritual disciplines. It's the things that's going to fix that. All of these, they're not checks to make you feel like a good Christian. They're checks. I mean, they're not checks, but they're actions that you take to draw close to Jesus. He's the answer. We're going to hit a lot of verses today, so we're going to, I'm just cherry-picking my way through, but they're all good. Um, so... Paul says it best, I think, in Romans 8, 6, that our goal through the spiritual disciplines is for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And that's, that's what I want for all of us. That's what I want for me is just to be with the spirit because he is the bringer of life. He brings peace in the midst of the storm. He is the one that we can rest in and he will shape the rest of our life. So that's what these training practices do is they help put our mind on the spirit. Um, they're not things that you can go and say, hey, I'm better than you, or you're better than me. I need to be more like you. It's, I need to be more like Jesus, and that's what these are going to help us do. Um, so maybe you've fallen into one of these categories. Maybe you've hidden from the answer. The purpose of these is not to give you another task to perform, to make yourself better. Our goal is spiritual transformation. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach to any of this where you can look at, like Martin Luther, I read a bunch of things from him in, in college and, and seminary, and he would talk about how he prayed for three hours a day. I would, I would look at that and go, man, he's, I can't do that. I'd five minutes in, ten minutes in, and I'm falling asleep. He got there over the course of his life. He didn't end up there when he was 10 and 15 or 20 
the goal is for us to draw closer to Jesus. And as we grow closer to him, we will desire him more. And as we do that, he brings up in our hearts that change. It is, as we talk about reading the Bible, it is highly possible for you to study and know everything about the Bible and miss everything about Jesus. They're called Pharisees. They missed everything, but they knew. And Jesus said, you know everything, but you've missed me entirely. So the goal is not, for, not to become this perfectly, biblically literate human being where you know everything and miss the best part of the Bible. It's for us to draw close to him. The goal is to create time and space in our lives for the Spirit to work. So when you forget, I don't want you to think how terrible you are. And on the other side of the coin, I don't want you to sit there and read the Bible and think, man, I'm freaking awesome today. I am crushing life. Because it's all about Jesus. You're opening yourself up to the greatest good in the universe, and that is the Spirit, the Spirit of God moving in you. And it's in those moments you create that he has time to speak to you. And they're called spiritual disciplines. So we're talking about reading the Bible. That's my task today. How do we read the Bible? How do we perform the spiritual discipline, whatever word, verb you want to use? How do we use the Bible to draw close to Jesus? And I have fallen into both of these at different times when I'm reading the Bible. And I don't want to say there's an incorrect way to read the Bible because I don't think that there necessarily is. But I think there's a, you can go into it with a wrong mindset. I think one of them is consumption, where you just want to consume the Bible. You want to read as much as possible so you can feel better about yourself. So, hey, I read the Bible in a year. No, I read it in three months. I read it in 90 days. Like that kind of mentality where you just want to get through it so you can feel better about yourself. You're consuming it. And I think not every, I'm not saying reading the Bible in a year is wrong. Obviously, that's great. You're reading the Bible. That's amazing. But this is a mindset that we're talking about. I'm an English teacher. This is where I live. I want to read books. I want to read a lot of books. I want to read, them book, read books fast because it's going to get me to another book. Like, I'm just burning through them. So it's hard for me to say this, but the best way to read the Bible is different than the way we just consume information because we're not just gaining mental knowledge about Jesus. We're trying to learn from him and give him time to pierce our hearts, to, to learn from his spirit. So we don't want to just blaze through the Bible. And if you're starting a reading in the Bible and you're playing, please don't come and say that I told you not to do that because that's great. Um, but make sure you're trying to learn about Jesus through. And we're going to talk about different ways to put ourselves in that mindset to draw close to Jesus as we read. Another one is self-help. We read the Bible because we want to fix ourselves. It's a self-help book. Not really. Um, for, for example, like strategies to be a better dad. I've read the Bible Gone through like, oh, don't provoke your children to anger. Got it. I provoke my children to anger. Crap, I need to stop doing that. Um, I'm way too sarcastic for my kids. And uh, Amber can testify that I love to mess with her. Um, don't be overly harsh. Like, we can read the Bible and think it's a self-help book. But the goal of the Bible is not to help yourself. The goal of the Bible is to let Jesus help you. To be fed by the Spirit. So you can't go into it looking for different ways to fix yourself because that's not its purpose. It's not designed to help for you to help yourself. It's designed to put you on your knees so that you realize, man, I need to spend three hours a day praying with Jesus because if I don't, I'm going to do all this jacked up stuff that I shouldn't do. 
Um, you can't help yourself. You can't read the Bible and find the best strategies to become the best Christian and make yourself better. Your job is to do them, and Jesus draws you closer. So we're going to jump into the Bible, and we're going to read a bunch of different verses where the Bible talks about itself, which is great because it tells us what it's supposed to be, what it's designed to be. Um, so we're going to start in Romans 12, 1 through 2. And Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The answer to duplicity, to multiplicity, to these double-minded ways is single-minded focus. And that single-minded focus is supposed to be on Jesus. And it's when we focus on Jesus, the rest of our life is transformed. We live in an overly committed society, especially this part of Jacksonville. Like, we love to be committed to stuff. We take our kids to things, we commit to that. We take ourselves to things, we commit, we commit to everything. We're just like an ADHD kid running around like da 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 taking everything out of public so that we can grab our hands on. But single-minded focus is the answer. That's the goal of reading the Bible, of doing all of these spiritual disciplines, is it's to focus on Jesus, that one thing that defines our life. And it's so easy to, to lose it. I, I love my kids. I I try to be a good dad, and I'm doing something I swore I would never do. I'm taking my son to baseball. I I hate baseball. I really do. I I can sit there and watch it, but I I don't want to. If I'm there with a friend, I'll I'll watch baseball. But I'm not going to turn it on on my own. I'm not looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing him, but I'm not looking forward to watching the game. But if my life becomes baseball, the rest of my life is ruined. I have four kids, so I'm focusing on the one kid that does baseball. So if you focus on something that is not Jesus, it can destroy the rest of our life because you're focusing on the one thing that isn't the, the best thing. You're focusing on these lesser little things that, that are not meant to be the center of your life. I would forget my wife, forget my kids, forget my job for the sake of baseball. I know that's an over-exaggeration. Nobody actually loses their life on baseball. That's not true. Some people do, and I don't understand them. But you get what I'm saying. Like, we can focus on the wrong thing, and it can destroy us. But if we focus on the right thing, it's life and peace, and it fills us. Jesus can actually, when we focus on him, we don't lose the rest of our life. We gain it because we learn how to focus on the right things, the things that matter, the things that there's a ghost, I guess. I don't know. Doors opening. That door is supposed to be locked. Uh, Thank you. I was making, yeah, okay. The unimportant things disappear when we focus on Jesus, and the important things take their proper place, which is under his leadership. And we learn how to live in a way that is glorifying to Jesus because we've been drawn closer to him. We love our families better. We love our kids better. We love our church better. We serve people with a more grateful heart. Things that would normally cause anxiety, like work, don't matter anymore because it's just a means to an end. We learn how to love people better. I mean, that's the hard part. Loving the, the jerk coworker that sits next to you that you just want to punch in the face every day. 
who doesn't have the same politics or same ideology, and he just rants all the time. Nobody has that coworker. We learn how to trust more. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, 33. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The secret of life, of pure life as it is meant to be lived, to eliminate the double-minded mind is to focus on one thing, and that's Jesus. To be a Christian at its most pure, basic, undiluted, and completely focused life is just to be focused on Jesus. He's the first priority, the epicenter of our life. That's what reading the Bible is all about. It's putting him back where he belongs. Because it's so easy. We're all double-minded people, tossed to and fro like waves. But we have to use the Bible to focus, to draw us back to him. David wrote a psalm about this. He wrote a lot of psalms about his word. But in Psalm 119.11, he said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we read the Bible and we store it in our soul, in our very being, we get closer to him. And the closer we get, sin decreases because the spirit is active and working in our life. The, the product of reading the Bible, of getting close to Jesus, is we get Jesus the Spirit moves, draws us closer to him, and gives us everything we never knew we wanted because we get everything in Jesus. He doesn't hold anything back. Like he said, everything, all these things will be added to you. And he's not talking about things like material possessions. He's talking about peace, about love, about joy, about being complete. It's We're going back to the way we were supposed to be in the Garden of Eden, taking sin back and rolling back the curtain so that we can be with God in perfect unity forever. That's what God's word is all about. Drawing us back to that moment before sin took place. Recreating us. That's what Paul talked about. And the next verse we're going to read is in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. This verse is typically talked about in a marriage context. But it's really cool because it, it, Paul is always comparing marriage to Jesus and his love for the church. And when he talks about the church in this aspect... As he compares it to marriage, he talks about washing us with his word. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, washing of water with the word, excuse me, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He uses his word to cleanse us. That may not be, it's not going to be pleasant all the time because you're shedding things that are not necessary and good, but you might love them. Going back to the multiplicity idea, you may really want to do that. And Jesus, when you're reading the Bible, says no. And you have to reconcile that. And that's going to be painful to say goodbye and let that go. But you're getting Jesus, and he's going to fill that hole better than anything else ever will. And... He, he presents us clean, without blemish. That's, that's what the word is doing, is it's cleansing us. It's putting us in a place that we can be made holy and without blemish and presented to God as his bride. So we don't combat sin with effort. 
We combat sin with Jesus. His spirit works miracles in our hearts and draws us closer to him as we read the Bible, as we study his word, because he uses that word to wash our hearts and present us to God. Paul said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I'm not like Warner, I don't like singing. But when we let the word of Christ dwell in us, I imagine this as an analogy, like you're running around and all these good ideas are just coming up to you and it's just making you want to sing and dance and run around. Kelly knows I don't like dancing either. I'm just a boring guy, but... That's, that's what's happening is it's just this exuberance. It's just jumping out of you because the word of Christ dwells in you. Like that's what it is. You're just resting in Jesus. You don't read the Bible to understand words. You read it to get Jesus and it dwells in you. You dwell with the spirit of God. His word does all of this in us. And I think the cool thing is at the end of that verse, we, we get thankful he puts thankfulness in our hearts. So we're not sitting there being pessimistic about life, which is so easy to do, to just grumble and complain, especially in this day and age. Every time you turn on the news, there's something that irritates me. But we can be thankful because we have Jesus, and there's nothing that's going to shake that away from us. That's what we want the word to do. Is to, we want to dwell with it. We want it to dwell in us. It should, be, it should come to rest in us. Like dwelling is a, a place of rest. It's something that you like sit in. Like you go to somebody's house and you dwell there. It should be something that you rest in, something that you spend time with, part of your family. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, the second one that he wrote in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he said, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, Bible nerd time. The Bible's been copied over the last 2,000 years, roughly 10,000 times into Latin. It's been copied roughly 5,000 times into Greek. All of them match, 99%. The 0.01% difference is spelling errors, which would never happen because you're just copying line by line. It happens all the time. Um, it's been preserved. This word of God is preserved by, I believe, the spirit of God for you, for me. It is 100% profitable. It's, pro it's breathed out by God. These are the words of God. I've spoken to so many people. I've said this so many times. Like, I want to know what God's will for my life is. But when's the last time you read the Bible? Eh, like three months ago. Well, how are you going to know the will of God? Because he breathed it out. It's designed specifically with you and I in mind. Over the course of time, they were used to draw people close to him. They are the words of God. They are profitable for teaching, for correcting people, for training in righteousness. That's what the word of God is supposed to do, is it trains us to be like him. It equips us and prepares us for every good work. And that's, that's what really spiritual disciplines are about, is as we draw close to God, being disciplined is just doing the right thing at the right time in the right moment. It's just, that's what, I mean, that's what Jalen Ramsey does. He trains all this time for all this football so that when he's chasing the pass, he catches it. 
and knocks away from the actual person who's supposed to catch it because he's awesome. Jerk went to freaking Rams, but what are you going to do? He equips us and prepares us for every good work. Even Leviticus is profitable for teaching. I know that's the book that we just boop right over because who wants to read about all those goofy laws? There is good stuff in there. It's confusing. I totally agree with that. But there is stuff in every book of the Bible that's designed to bring you closer to Jesus, to bring me closer to Jesus. So when we're talking about reading, what are we doing practically? Like when you sit down, you got the Bible, you finally want to read it. I finally want to read it. I've created time and space in my life. What are some simple strategies that can help us get something out of this? These are not what I would tell my seventh grade kids when we're talking about reading, so I just want to go ahead and lay that out there. They're not bad at all. I'm just... Read the Bible slowly. Don't set a time limit. Don't set a chapter limit. Don't set a verse limit. Just read it. Sit down and take your time. Let the Spirit lead you. If you see a verse and it just like crushes you, you should probably stop there and think about that verse and dwell in it. There's no reason to put a limit or a maximum or a minimum or whatever on what you got to read. If reading the Bible is a chore for you and you're like, man, I just can't sit down and focus, then just read a verse. It's okay. Nobody's judging you. You're drawing closer to Jesus. That's the goal. And if one verse is better than yesterday, then you're doing great. I'm doing great. Knowledge doesn't lead to spiritual transformation, so there's no point in saying, I read 15 chapters, all of a sudden I'm going to get closer because those 15 chapters made a difference. That's not what spiritual transformation is. It's the Holy Spirit in that time and space that we create that he has time to move. And if your job is to get through 15 chapters in a day, you're probably going to miss the Holy Spirit moving you because your job is to get through 15 chapters, not listen to what he's saying. It's in those moments when you've read it that he goes to work. The second one is to read expectantly. Read expecting to hear from God. Read expecting to feel his leadership and movement. It may not be a hammer in the face every time you read it, but he's going to be there. He's put that word in front of you on purpose. He, he's not surprised that you finally decided to read the Bible. He's not surprised that I finally decided to read it. He's there. I believe the Holy Spirit is working in that moment. We just have to be open and listen to it. So read it expectantly. The 66 books over 1,500 years by 44 authors are all designed to give you one clear message. That's that God loves you and that he wants you to be in a relationship with him. And he's going to get the glory in that relationship. Everything that he would ever say to you is in the Bible. Everything that he would want to say that is necessary, according to Paul, is in the Bible. So read the Bible slowly, read it expectantly, waiting for the Spirit to draw you closer to him, to tell you something because the Spirit is active. The next one is to read the Bible repentantly. Don't go in it with a cocky, arrogant attitude thinking that you're amazing and that if you read these 15 chapters, you're going to be the best person you've ever been in your life. Read it with an attitude of surrender. Go into it knowing that you're jacked up. That's why Martin Luther wanted to spend those three hours in prayer, because he knew he was jacked up, and he desperately needed more Jesus and less of himself. And that's what these are designed to do. These spiritual disciplines, these practices that we do, this training is 
to get us to a point where we realize we desperately need Jesus. This is the hard part, I think, when we read it repentantly, is being ready for anything. Being ready for God to say anything, to send you anywhere, to move anywhere in your life, and to cut things out. That's not fun, because that's when we, we lose stuff. But we're gaining Jesus in the process. God's word cleanses our thoughts, our negative thoughts, our behaviors, our anxieties, those things that don't need to be around so that we can latch on to him and grab on to him. So read it repentantly and let him move, expecting him to cut those things away, an attitude of surrender. And the last thing is just to dwell, going back to Colossians, just dwell with the word. We call it meditation. That seems like a hokey word to me because I feel like I'm just sitting there and chanting stuff. Um, but just rest, rest on it. When you read a chapter, a verse, whatever, and it cuts you to the core, sit there and repeat that one. Think about that one. Store it into your heart like David said. As a reading teacher, I measure success by reading X amount of books every year. I measure my success of my students by that, how many books they read a year. That is not the way we should read the Bible. It is great to read the whole Bible in a year. Once again, I want to just reiterate that. I do not want to bash that ever. I think it's a great goal. But dwell in it. Take time and spend it with Jesus. Don't miss what he has written for you. It's not about checking a box. I've talked to so many people, and in college, I, I just stopped wanting to be around them. But people bragging about how much they read or how much they prayed, and they would have all these great prayer language words and things that I knew, but I just didn't want to talk about because that's not how I talk to people. That kind of stuff just doesn't matter. It's not a measuring stick that we can say I'm better than somebody else or feel better. And I think that's the dangerous one is that I feel better when I've read the Bible because I did what I was supposed to do. But I miss Jesus entirely because I wasn't really resting in what he had read, what he had written, excuse me. Savor it. Pray through it. Rest in it. It's not about reading 15 chapters. It's about growing closer with Jesus. The Bible from Genesis to Revelations is all about Jesus. It's a story about God creating an intricate rescue plan on our behalf. We see the seeds of God's rescue plan in Genesis, where God promised Eve, I'm going to send a descendant of yours to crush the head of the serpent. And over the course of the history of Judaism, we see through the judges, they wanted a king. The king did not fulfill what they needed. They found a king, and all of the kings failed. David, Solomon, all the good ones, even Josiah, which is my son's namesake, they all failed because they're not Jesus. So that's why you see in the prophets, they start prophesying about this king, this Messiah who's going to come and write the word of God on their hearts. And that's what Jesus does is he comes to us. He dies for us and is resurrected as he crushes death and leaves us, or he sends his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit writes the word of God on our hearts. That's why we read the Bible, so that we can have the word of Christ written on our hearts, so that the Holy Spirit has time and space to speak to us. 
The Holy Spirit was promised to us. It is our seal and guarantee of our salvation. We open ourselves up to his leadership as we read the word. Let's pray.